three. Didn't get there. Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Two. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Hey everybody, welcome into a new edition of the Can't Wait podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes. And Connor, what would we do without the NFL and free agency? Because there's not a lot of news out there. There's a lot of people sitting at home, working from home, social distancing, doing the right thing as we get through this coronavirus. But the NFL continues to give and the Jets continue to be busy and to keep you busy. Yeah, yeah, they, they certainly are, man. I mean, it's it's been a little bit more than I would think the first uh, wave of free agency, which is kind of what we knew, right? I mean, going into this thing, we we knew that Joe Douglas was not going to be somebody that was overly active uh, with those top tier free agent options that were out there. He had, he had guys that he wanted, you know, Joe Tooney was, was the big one, but when Tooney was off the market and, and some of these other guys priced themselves out of what Douglas was willing to pay, he kind of laid low. You know what I mean? The first couple free agents he signed, you know, Connor McGovern, George Font, Alex Lewis retention, Brian Poole retention. I mean, none of these guys we're breaking the bank. In fact, not too many of these guys were were very high on on many top 100 free agent lists. But the Jets, those were like the Jets' first splashy waves. But now that that first wave of free agency is over, now that we're on to the second tier of players, you're starting to see the Jets become very very active, both with retaining their own, uh, both with adding some new faces, uh, and certainly you're you're starting to see this team get get fill out the very many holes that they have. I mean, look, they entered free agency with 20-something guys uh, as unrestricted free agents. They're starting to plug some of those gaps on one-year deals, a ton of one-year deals. And I think you're going to see that continue over the next couple of days here. And we're going to talk about some of the more interesting signings, both the guys they've kept and the guys they've brought in. And um, at the end of this podcast, we're going to have the full interview that Connor did with Pierre Desir. Uh, so definitely tune in with that one. I think it's almost 20 minutes long um, phone interview. Yeah, he was you a did fantastic talk. Yeah, he yeah. was like, we, like a lot of what I actually saved, set, like we, we wrote a story and we ran a story on on Desir you know, right after I did the interview. But I say I I left purposely a chunk two two of the more fascinating portions of the interview I left out of the story just because I was like you know these are kind of two stories in and of themselves that doesn't necessarily go with his 2018 2019 season so I'm gonna kind of like save them to do something bigger and then I was also like you know let's throw this bad boy right in the podcast so people can get it. I mean I didn't know that that Desir is is fascinated with Broadway so he talks a lot about Broadway and how when he was in middle school he was in a couple of school dramas it reminded me of like high school musical almost with like the the guy who played basketball and then was also the 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 uh in the plays and stuff like that I mean it reminded me a little bit of that and uh he also talked a, a ton about some other fascinating things that that you'll hear in that that interview as well that was uh, the, the going vegan was one that that during the yep. regular season he goes vegan I found that fascinating as well so uh, he's really an interesting guy. I know when I was calling some people and asking them about him, they said you're gonna love him. He's a fascinating person. He's a fascinating individual. Like you, you just get to know him and you'll you'll love the guy. And and talking to him for for those 20 25 minutes or so, I mean, he really is. He really is. You're kind of kind of a cool, unique dude. And I think you'll you'll like the interview. 
Yeah, so that'll be at the end of the show. We'll talk a little bit about Desir also before we get to that. But I wanted to start with uh, the wide receiver position. So let's go there first. Robbie Anderson heading to Carolina. Uh, he'll reunite with his college coach at Temple. That's Matt Rule, who's taken over to down there with the Panthers. He gets a two-year, $20 million deal. And then the Jets end up pivoting for Brashad Perryman. But let's start with Robbie Anderson because, Connor, two years, $20 million, I feel like a couple of months ago, if you had said that Robbie Anderson got two years and $20 million, we would have maybe assumed that was with the Jets. Yeah, now I, I I did as well. In fact, when I got the alert that that this was the deal that went down, I was stunned to see that that the Jets were not the ones that gave him because everything that I heard from people within the Jets organization and and people tied to Robbie Anderson and people that were familiar with this was that it was uh, the, the Jets were willing to do ten that that they were willing to do eight nine ten they would potentially go to eleven they would walk away at 12, 13, 14, 15, that that was a 12 was kind of their walk away number. And then anything more than 13, I mean, they weren't even ever going to consider it. So when I saw two for 20, I was like, well, that's why that, that makes no, that makes no sense. Now, now certainly Matt rule played a role in this. And I've talked to many people that have said that have confirmed to me, Matt rule who coached Robbie Anderson at temple and Robbie Anderson spoke so glowingly about during a locker room baggy clean out day after the Jets season had ended uh, saying how how great of a coach he was, how he owed so much of his NFL career to him, how you know playing for him again wouldn't be a bad option. A lot of that stuff uh, kind of rings true, and why Anderson decided to sign with the sign with the Panthers there. But I, I I've also been been told by a couple people that are familiar with this deal, wait for the details to come out, wait for the specific details of this contract to come out, and when they do it should provide more clarity as to why the Jets weren't necessarily willing to do it. And I think the one thing that's very interesting and that it's what's already been out there and reported is that the contract is worth $12 million in year one. So in the 2020 season, Robbie's getting $12 million. The Jets were not willing to do that. The Jets wanted to, it was going to be 10. It was not going to be 12. It was going to be 10. And I think that that, and there might be some other things in there that once these details are made available, and you might have to wait for Robbie to take a physical and all this Corona stuff to end. But uh, once once the details are available, I think it should provide a little bit more information as to why the Jets were willing to to let their their top receiver from a year ago and one of their more dynamic players the last three four years uh, to to the Carolina Panthers for just this uh, this contract that doesn't seem so gaudy on the outside. Yeah, maybe that 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 makes sense. The one year commitment too much, and then uh, after that, obviously it'll be less for Carolina. So then they go and get Brashad Perryman one year. Uh, it's six million, is that right? I have eight here on my paper, but then I think that's yeah, incorrect. It's, so it's it's worth up to eight. It's so okay. it's a contract that, again. That's another one we're going to wait for the specifics of the detail. But the way that it's been it's been put out there and relayed to me is that you know it's a contract worth up to eight million dollars. So that can mean a hundred different things. That can mean that you know if he has. 1700 yards 20 touchdowns is an all pro and wins league mvp then he's getting eight million dollars and if he doesn't do any of those things then it's six i mean you got to see you have you the, again like i said with these nfl contracts the devil is always in the details and a lot of times when agents and representatives of players report out and leak the the initial information they do so of what it is going to you know the maximum value of what these deals are going to be worth and if you know anything about the NFL, you realize that never is a contract worth what it is actually worth on the outside. In fact, Kirk Cousins' deal that he, that's what made Kirk Cousins' deal that he signed with the Vikings a couple years ago, such the, you know, the the unicorn of NFL contracts because it was fully guaranteed. What that deal was, he was going to get every penny of it. I think it was like three for 85 or three for 87, whatever the heck it was. He's getting every penny of that deal, which he then has now signed an extension on top of that. So 
Uh, it is, it is, it's, it's another one of those deals that I would wait on. But, but I think that Perryman was one of the ideal retention or uh, an ideal contingency plan for the Jets once, once uh, Robbie left for Carolina. The one thing he has that that Robbie had was speed, and maybe more of it. A four-two-four and a four-two-seven in the forty at his pro day. I mean, that's a legit. Uh, burner and there's very few defensive backs in the NFL that can kind of keep up with that. There's a lot of question marks, um, but I think the thing that the Jets were probably looking at, right, was Mike Evans got injured late last year and, and Perryman yep. stepped in and really performed well late in the season for Tampa Bay. And and hopefully that was a sign of the potential the Jets hope he can bring to New York. Look, I the, the Jets were preparing to lose Robbie Anderson dating back to like November of this year, November, December. I mean, they they were already as as good front offices do looking forward to what's to come, looking forward to the draft, looking forward to free agency, assessing their in-house free agents. And, and they felt that Robbie that a, that a bidding war was going to commence on Robbie Anderson on the open market. And that he was going to be priced out of what the Jets were willing to pay. Now, the the deal that he ended up getting for Carolina was not nearly the $13, $14, 15000000 million annually that, that a lot of people felt Robbie was going to get at one point in time. That bidding war never, cre- never uh, opened. I've heard a lot of that reason had to do with Robbie's off-field concerns, the, the the two arrests that he had in Florida, and the worry that if he gets some money, that that it's you know it could potentially he could get in trouble again. You never really know. And 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 though, I mean, one one front office executive uh, when I reached out about Anderson, who I, I thought you know the team might be interested, said to me, "Well, he's not exactly squeaky clean." So I mean, that was certainly a concern and one of the reasons why teams just weren't willing to pay that much for a guy who, again, also isn't a complete receiver does a little bit more than just go deep, but not a ton more than just going deep. He's never had a thousand yards. He has a tendency to check out of games and check out of routes when he knows he's not the primary receiver. I mean, there's there's little things there that you just don't want to give wide receiver one money to a receiver that is not a wide receiver one. And I think that that played a role in, in Anderson not receiving that $14, $15 million a year. Now, obviously, he goes out in Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater and has 1,500 yards this year, and that will change. But at this point, it's just not a gamble that teams are willing to do. So the Jets were kind of preparing for Anderson leaving. And when they were preparing for Anderson leaving, they were considering, okay, how are we going to replace him? And they started making their list of guys. One of the players that was on that list was Philip Dorsett. That is a player, or he is a player who the Jets had had discussed and talked to his agency very early on in free agency. Uh, they had actually kind of agreed sort of to parameters on like a two-year, $10 million deal, something like that with Dorsett. Uh, it was, though, contingent on Robbie Anderson. It was that, look, we're not signing Philip Dorsett until we know that we're not getting Robbie Anderson back, then we can rekindle these conversations. Obviously, before Robbie Anderson signed, Dorsett signed with the Seattle Seahawks, he was off the board. So when Dorsett was gone, Robbie Anderson signed, the Jets immediately pivoted to Perryman. And again, man, I, I, I think it's, look, Perryman is not as good of a receiver as Robbie Anderson. He's probably never going to be as good of a receiver as Robbie Anderson. He is not nearly as consistent. He doesn't have the same sort of... Uh, uh, true ability to take the top. I mean, Anderson is next level 
with his ability to stretch a defense. And it's not always about speed. It's about the ability to locate the ball, high point the ball, adjust your body to get to the ball and all of those types of things. So Perryman is is not as good as Robbie, but he's kind of like a poor man's Robbie Anderson, right? He's There are things you like about him, very similar in size. Perryman's 6'2", Anderson's 6'3". Perryman's a little bit bigger, which the Jets like. He's 215 when Anderson's like soaking. I think the, the line that Sean Jefferson dropped, the Jets receivers coach, was that he's like 180 pounds soaking wet. So, I mean, again, Anderson's not a very big guy. So you're getting a little bit more size in Perryman which should allow him to do a little bit more in terms of attacking the middle of the field, uh, slants, posts, things like that, things that Anderson was a little apprehensive to do. Uh, like you mentioned, the dude is fast with those like sub-4, 340-yard dashes at his pro day. But there's also the consistency problems, right? Because he was not a very good or explosive player with the, the Baltimore Ravens. It's why they decided to let him go before his contract was even, his rookie contract was even up. Forget the fifth-year option. They cut him before he even finished out the four years on that rookie deal. I think he went to, uh, he, had a, he had a couple tryouts, didn't really go anywhere, then went to the Cleveland Browns, played okay in a couple games where he averaged like 21.3 yards per catch in 10 games, but he only had like, I think it was something like uh, uh, 13 or 14. I mean, it wasn't like he had a ton of catches, he ends up signing an extension with the Browns because they're like, you know, we might have something here. But then when the Browns uh, traded for Odell Beckham Jr. from the Giants, they were like, well, we don't really need Perryman. So they ended up kind of the, the deal that he had with the Browns that wasn't totally signed yet. He ended up getting the same exact deal from the Bucks, So he went there. And then in Tampa Bay, it's it's really like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because you. I was talking to um, uh, Greg Allman, who covers the Buccaneers, and he was telling me that, that for the first time, 12 weeks of the year, something like that. I mean, he was literally invisible. The guy did, I mean, he just, he did nothing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then Mike Evans goes down, he comes in, and he just catches absolute fire the final five weeks of the season. I mean, 25 catches, 506 yards, five touchdowns during that span, Tim. He averaged 20.24 yards per catch during that time span. If you Add uh, like like uh, average that out for a 16 game season. That's 80 catches for 1600 yards and 16 touchdowns. Right? I mean, if you even just take yeah. his entire season with the Buccaneers, he averaged 17.29, 17.9 yards per catch. You add that with the 21.3 average. I mean, the guy can take the top off a of defense, but with him, you're just getting the concerns of is he going to do it on a consistent basis with New York? Is he the guy that was? That, that that set the league on fire the final five weeks of the season in Tampa? Or is he the guy that he was with the Ravens? Is he the guy that he was the first three quarters of the season with the Buccaneers? I mean, what kind of a player you're going to get? And the, the numbers on, on his uh, 2018 season with the Browns, it was 16 catches for 340 yards and two touchdowns in 10 games. So I was a little off there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, hopefully with, with the chance, with the opportunity, he'll be able to do it with the Jets. But he's not the... Uh, go-to number one guy that Sam Darnold is going to eventually need. So that is still a him. need, right? And that's something where maybe they can find it in this super deep draft. And and I think there's still a need to draft a receiver at some point, right? Come next month or whenever the draft is held. Absolutely. I mean, no, they're, they're not done. Now the Jets do, they like some of the makings of what they have on offense. And I think when, when people analyze this Jets roster and they look at some of the moves Joe Douglas has made and they're like, oh man, he hasn't done enough. He hasn't done enough. The thing I would I would kind of tell people to do is that imagine this Jets defense that played all of last year. You add Pierre Desir, right? You add all the you add that. You get Quinn and Williams back healthy. You get Henry Anderson back healthy. You're also getting two brand new middle linebackers in Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley because those two guys played 
a combined three healthy quarters in the regular season, right? So you're getting a player in Avery Williamson who, when he is on, is an above-average, pretty good line. I don't think he's Pro Bowl, but he's a pretty good linebacker. And C.J. Mosley is an All-Pro. So you're adding those two pieces to your defense, guys that played three total quarters last year. On offense, yeah, you're losing Robbie Anderson, but you're getting back a healthy Chris Herndon, somebody that the Jets felt had top five tight end and feel has top five tight end potential. That's who they think they have in Chris Herndon. He played something like two quarters, and I think only like maybe 10 minutes of it was healthy. He's getting back in the lineup. You're going to get Ryan Griffin involved in there as well. But I do agree that with an offense, even though you have Bell, you have an improved offensive line. You have Jamison Crowder in the slot, who's a very good player. You know, have Perryman as one outside receiver to stretch the defense. You do still need more. You absolutely still need more. My question is that where is the more coming? Because it's not going to be in free agency. After I thought Devin Funges might be an option for the Jets. He's off free agency now, the former uh, longtime Panther, short-time Colt because he got hurt early and landed on the injured reserve. He's obviously signed elsewhere. Dersvets now with the Seahawks. Cooper's long gone. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is long gone. So there really aren't any receivers out there right now that I feel will make a legitimate difference for the Jets on a week-by-week basis. I mean, you can get some depth guys or maybe guys that do a specialty thing, like, oh, he's a good red zone target. He's a good this. He does that. He's he's good after the cat. Like, you can find random players like that, but you're not getting a number one. Where the Jets are going to find a legitimate boost to their offense and somebody that's going to contribute week one through week 16 and potentially into the playoffs is going to be in the draft. And now the question is, when are they going to take one in the draft? Is it going to be at number 11 in the first round, or are they going to wait in the second round? And this is kind of where that George Font signing comes into play for the Jets and and where it gives them flexibility, which we've talked about on previous podcasts, is that this is a, 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 a team that has... Um, a a a player now that maybe hasn't necessarily done it, but they got him on a on a on a team friendly deal at nine nine point seven five million dollars. Really, is all that contract is for one year, and then he has two extra years that the Jets can cut him and and not really cost anything. But he's somebody that they believe has starting potential on the left side of the line. So if they come to number, if they're picking at number eleven, and those top four offensive linemen are gone, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, Mackay Becton, and Andrew Thomas, if those four guys are all gone. And the Jets are suddenly sitting like, holy crap, all four of those tackles are gone. They're now not suddenly in a situation like, okay, we need to scramble. We need to draft actually the guy that we have a a high second round grade on and take him at 11 because we need a left tackle. Like we need a left tackle right now. So we need to reach. You don't need to reach if you're the Jets anymore. You can say, okay, top four are gone. That means C.D. Lamb is there. That means Jerry Judy is there. That means that you might have that corner from Ohio State there. If all four tackles and the run on quarterbacks are all gone, you might have him there as well. You can say, okay, let's grab this guy. Let's grab this guy. Now let's grab an offensive tackle in the second run who may not be a week one starter, but he is a week four, week five starter. And if you have a guy that you're thinking is going to be ready after a couple of weeks there to start for you at left tackle, you start font left tackle to start. You have then that player ready to go, waiting in the wings. Then he takes over at the left side. Then you can either have the flexibility of taking Font and moving him to right tackle and replacing Chuma Adaga or competing with Chuma Adaga. Because while the Jets love Adaga and they like him a lot, they like a lot of his physical ability, he needs to take the next step mentally. And I don't mean about uh, learning to play the game or mental development in that regard of the offense and all that crap. No, it's about he has all of the tools. He needs to decide if he wants it. And if he wants it, and if this is a a player that that decides, F it, man, I want to be the best right tackle. I want to be the best offensive lineman in the NFL. He has all of the tools to do that. He just needs to dedicate himself and want it and do it. 
But when you have players like that that have the talent and you're waiting to see if they want to take the next step mentally, there's a chance they do and there's a chance they don't. And the Jets hope he does. He's a guy they put a third-round pick in. Gase likes him a lot. The front office likes him a lot. Douglas likes him a lot. But if he doesn't, you need some kind of contingency plan. And I think that Font gives the Jets that flexibility as well. Flexibility in the draft to truly take the best player available. I still think it's going to be an offensive lineman. But if they run an offensive lineman happens and the, and the unthinkable and all four guys are gone, the Jets have that potential now to go with somebody else because they have fun who can play left side. And then eventually when they get their left tackle of the future and that guy's ready, Font can go play right tackle and either replace Chuma Adaga or push him or the Jets suddenly have a hell of a swing tackle. Because the other thing I heard when I was making some calls on Font is that a lot of people believe he's better right than left, which is why I just tend to believe that he's going to be the guy that ends up on the right side of the line and the Jets are going to have a rookie at the left. That's just that's just how I think this thing's going to play out. I don't know if the tackle's coming at 11. I think it is. I don't know for sure. But I think the tackle's coming at 11. But even if the tackle comes in the second round, I think the way that this Jets offensive line uh, – uh, finally works itself out the way that it's finally done and the way that it finally happens is it will be rookie to be drafted later at left guard or at left tackle, Alex Lewis at left guard, Connor McGovern at center, Greg Van Roten at right guard, and then you're going to have a uh, font over at right tackle. I think that's probably eventually how this thing shakes out. And maybe the best thing about it is, is what you said, that they'll be able to draft the best player available and not necessarily have to reach for, for anything else just to, to take the best talent level and, and raise the talent level of this roster as a whole. All right. We talked about Desir a little bit off the top, but as far as the contract goes and, and the football side of it, cause that was mostly other stuff. Uh, it's a one year deal with the jets. He had signed a three year, $25 million deal with the Colts basically like a year ago, but then, you know, it just kind of went sour there with, with injuries. He didn't perform as well because of a hamstring um, that he thinks was a big factor in that, and you'll hear about that in the interview at the end of the show. But it's it's a guy that I don't think many people thought would be available, and the Jets are able to get him, and he's shown in his career that he can be a very good cornerback. Um, do you believe that the hamstring was a big factor and he's not just kind of slipping here at this point in his career? He's not old. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a fascinating player, man, because he very similar to some other guys is he wasn't actually you can kind of compare him a little bit to Perryman. He wasn't very good the the first portion of his career. I mean, he was drafted by the Browns, where pretty much anyone who goes to the Browns isn't any good. They all stink. And <laughs> then he bounced around a little bit, went to went to another team and and uh, uh, I believe it was Jacksonville. I got to double check this one, uh, but he went to to, to a team and, and ended up getting cut. Then he ended up on the Seahawks uh, practice squad. And and I know he, he talks a lot about this. That was like kind of where his career started to turn around because he was put into a he wasn't he didn't play a snap for the Seahawks, but he got to see how Richard Sherman prepared, how Earl Thomas prepared, how Cam Chancellor prepared. And he started picking those guys minds and asking them, you know, how are you able to have success? How are you a professional? And they he learned how to that he learned how to be a professional football player. I mean, that that's what. He did, and and I think that from that time, you started to see him change. So while he never ended up playing up for the Seahawks, he, he was on their practice squad, came back on a reserve future contract, was with them throughout training camp, but eventually got cut because of the numbers game. He said when he got cut, he knew he could play. He knew he could play at that point. He knew he had put good film on, on tape for anything that was interested from the preseason games with the Seahawks. That's when the Colts picked him up, and in the span of eight weeks, he went from their number six corner to starter, and he played some of his best games against DeAndre Hopkins. He turned that 2017 season into a tremendous 2018 season. That's when he ended up going vegan in season, which he talks about, 
and he got that big money contract. He thought it was done. He's like, I'm, I'm found. I made it. Like I'm here. I like, I, I have a home. I have a team. I'm playing good football. And then unfortunately he got hurt and it was a hamstring issue that plagued him throughout the season. It was something that he kept re-injuring. It was something that prevented him from doing so much of what he's capable of doing. And you hear him talk about it. And, and he said, you know, still at the end of the year, he kind of always thought he was going to be back, that it was like an, okay, this is, look, I hurt my hamstring. That kind of sucks. But I'm, I'm I, the coaches knew that I played through an injury. The coaches knew I wasn't 100%. I'll be back. I'll be 100%. And I'll be fine. And I'll return to the player that I was in in 17 and 18 and probably even better because he's still young and ascending. And instead, the Colts completely blindsided him and called him and said, we're cutting you. And they cut him before a $3 million roster bonus was due, which played a role. I've heard some people uh, talking to some people that were familiar with the Colts say that, that you know, that this was kind of a, an our, our guys over at the cover, the Colts for us were, were excellent with this. And in, in terms of analyzing, this was kind of a numbers move that the Colts had hoped to cut him and then bring him back on a lesser deal uh, and pay him a little less money and, and play that kind of a game. And instead uh, Desir got, got notification at 12 o'clock or him and his agency, uh, uh, got notification at 12 o'clock that he was going to get cut. Um, and at 1230, the jets called. So the jets literally called him 30 minutes after he was cut. They pretty much had a contract in place on Saturday. Uh, and again, like I said, you'll, you'll hear him talking about it, but he made some calls to, to some of his uh, Colt teammates that are on the jets roster. Nate Harrison was one of them trying to figure out what this team's like. What's the situation like? Is it a cool locker room? They sang the praises, and he said what ended up solidifying his decision was when he got a call from Greg Williams. was when Greg picked up the phone, called his ear, and said, I want you in my secondary. And his ear said, okay, where do I sign? Yeah, certainly a a great get to get a guy that that people didn't think would be out there. So the Jets improving the the secondary, something they needed to do. We had already talked about Brian Poole, him coming back on that team-friendly deal, and you have Desir now too, and probably need to add another cornerback, but but certainly on their way at this point. Uh, One more guy I wanted to talk to you about is one of those returning guys. Jordan Jenkins will be back with the Jets. Um, Was this anticipated by you, Connor? Are you surprised? How does this fit into everything? No, I'm stunned. I I was stunned. I mean, I talked to people close to Jordan Jenkins uh, very early on in the legal tampering period who straight up said to me he will be playing elsewhere in 2020. That's how far apart uh, Jordan, the offer the Jets offered to Jordan Jenkins was and the expectation of what they were going to get on the free agent market, that they were from Jordan Jenkins side convinced that there was zero shot. He was returning to the Jets. And I checked back with with Jenkins side the next day and when the legal and when the uh, the new league year actually started. I checked in with those guys routinely and said, has anything changed? Has anything changed? And they said, no, we'll be playing elsewhere. No, we'll be playing elsewhere. No, we'll be playing elsewhere. And that's how kind of annoyed at that one-year $5 million offer the Jets, uh, Jenkins was, uh, Jenkins side, his representation was over that offer from the Jets. But his market just did not materialize. And and Jenk and uh, Joe Douglas stuck to his guns. He kept things in wraps. He said, this is what we're offering. This is what we're willing to pay. You can take it or you can leave it. And eventually what happened was that Jordan Jenkins came by and he said, okay, I've got a couple other offers. They're for a little bit more money. But I would rather come back to the Jets, the only team I've ever known on a one-year deal. Uh, I want to play for jo- I want to play for Greg Williams again. And if I get 10, 11, 12 sacks this coming season or get 10 sacks this season, maybe now I can cash in again. And you can look at Jordan Jenkins. That guy had, I think it was seven sacks two years ago. He had eight last year. If he gets 10 this year, he's still young and he can 
cash in again pretty big and get that 10, 12, 13, 14 million dollar annually contract, he'll be able to get that with a 10 sack season this year because now you have a three year gap where this guy had seven, eight, 10 sacks and that's pretty damn good. So uh, I, I think that this was just a, a incredibly team friendly deal. Uh, reminds me of the Brian Poole contract and talking to people around the league after Jenkins agreed to it. I wasn't the only one that was surprised. I mean, I talked to a couple team executives on other teams that that weren't necessarily interested in Jenkins, but it said that guy's going to sign for eight to ten minimum. That he's going to get eight to ten million dollars annually. That's what he's going to get. And instead, he got one year, five million dollars in the Jets. I mean, that's just that's a that's a hell of a deal for New York. A uh, great deal for Douglas, and it's still pretty surprising that the Jets were able to get that one done. But uh, it's a good thing to get him back because Jenkins is a guy that is stout against the run. He's effect. He's not a great pass rusher, but he's an effective pass rusher. Uh, he's someone whose never-ending motor puts him in position to get seven to eight sacks a year just because he never stops in any play. And the Jets also love him in the locker room. I mean, they really do. They think that this guy is a leader. They think that he is next level in terms of the players that he can uh, or the way that he can mentor players and help players along. He's a guy who is the, the perfect example of how to do things the right way. And, and getting him back again to help a, a generally a pretty young team continue to mature is a, is a great get for New York. And talk about motivation, right? You have this guy on, on a one-year situation where if he mm. performs big time, he can get that contract that he wants. I mean, that's a, a perfect situation for the Jets as well. Absolutely, man. I mean, it really, it really is a, a good deal top to bottom for this team. And like I said, I mean, I, I was surprised – and when, when Jenkins returned to the Jets, I was surprised. I was like, it was it seemed pretty far off that these two guys were not going to get done. When I saw one for five, I was like, holy cow. And it wasn't just me, man. I talked to a couple team executives, other agents that I know, uh, other people that work for teams, and every single one of them said the same thing, that it was like, wow. Like, that. that is a it's, – it's a surprise that the Jets were able to get him for that. All right, so uh, without further ado, let's uh, get to that interview. This is Connor catching up with uh, Pierre Desir on the phone uh, a couple days ago, right after he had signed, basically. So here's that full interview. First off, man, just congratulations, obviously, on the new deal, signing here with the Jets, uh, joining, obviously, a new team, continuing your NFL career. So so how does it kind of feel to, to get this deal done and, and have, you know, kind of the next chapter uh, of your career set, set here for what's going to be going on? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a blessing, you know, to continue to uh, live out my dream and, and playing football. And I'm just, you know, thankful for the opportunity to be able to sign with the with the Jets and uh, continue this, uh, this this dream of mine. So I, I'm trying to get what these last, like, pretty much 24 hours have been like for you because you're, right. you're, you're cut on Saturday, right? I mean, I don't even think 12 – I don't even think a full 24 hours later – You've got yourself a new team. So, how quickly did these thing, did this kind of thing, come together for you? You know, between your talk, you talk to the Colts on the phone. All of a sudden, the Jets are kind of blowing up your, you know, Hadley's number and your number. So, how does how did this all come together for you? Well, it seemed like forever. It seems like I was cut forever. Okay. <laughs> um, um, but you know, it's just because there's a lot of emotions. You know, when you're when you're at one place for a while, um, you know, you, you kind of reflect on. Um, your time there but luckily I have a great team and Hadley's a great agent um, they got to work immediately and um, you know with a matter of you know a couple hours he's telling me the Jets are interested and and then next day to have a new deal so it uh, happened pretty quickly it just seemed like forever just because of all the emotions that was brought into it but um, once again I'm just very thankful to be able to sign with the Jets 
when when was the first time that that Hadley kind of came up to you and and said, "Look, we might have something here with the Jets. We've got something that you know. All right, this is now. I kind of know what we're going to be looking for. This is an offer you might want to consider." Was it same day Saturday? Was it you know kind of Sunday morning? I mean, when did you kind of hear from from him to let you know like this is actually there's something here you might like? It was uh, Saturday. It okay. Was just, uh, just a couple hours after um, I was released. Okay. Okay. So, um, what other teams were kind of interested? You know, who was who was poking around, and and why did you end up picking the Jets? Uh, you know, there was there's interest from, uh, you know, uh, the the Seahawks. And, okay. Um, and then a few other teams, but, uh, um, you know, I, I think being able to have people that I know, and then the Jets organization, and then spoken with them, um, getting their uh, players. Um, you know, uh, experience and a player's uh, outtake on how it is. Um, you know, I think the decision was pretty easy. I, I knew what type of defense they were going to be running. I was able to speak with uh, Coach Williams. Um, okay. And uh, I, that's, we just solidified my decision to go ahead and um, sign with the Jets. Who, who were the – you said you talked to a couple players. Who were the players you, you reached out to? Um, uh, Matthias Farley. Okay, um, yeah. Because I was with him in uh, India and um, Nate Harrison. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Nate's over there as well. I guess they kind of uh, pretty excited to have you in the building with them again, be teammates again. Right, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Greg. Did you know him or do you know him from, from any previous experiences or is this going to be kind of the first time you're you're interacting with him? Because I know he's he's a, he's an emotional guy. <laughs> he's he's a, lot of, a guy that a lot of players obviously love playing for. Uh, you know, I know, I know of him. Um, okay. You know, just because you know, the NFL community is not—it's uh, it's a tight knit community. So I know of him. Um, and like you said, you know, just a lot of players—they they speak highly of him. And uh, once I got my you know opportunity to actually speak to him and talk to him and um, just really learn more just beyond football and how how he is and how he's how he coaches. Um, you know, I I thought I felt I I fit right in with the, the culture that he's trying to bring and you know, I'm trying to be a part of that. Now I was doing some some reading on you uh, shortly after like when the Jets Jets kind of signed you trying to look a little bit about your backstory. Um, I saw something like in the span of at one point in the span of seven weeks you were cut like three times. Like that that just <laughs> sounds crazy. Like what is what is yes. the backstory there? Like what, how did that that happen? Uh, so it was in um, 20 and 2016 um, I was with the, I was with the Cleveland Browns Okay. And um, it was going into my third year with them, and then I got cut the last cut for um, training camp. Okay. So so September so September I got cut, and then I went to the Chargers, and I was cut twice by the Chargers back to back. So I think it was week week six and week seven. So, okay. You know, so in that's like October. Yeah. So, so I, and so then I was there. Cleveland got cut, and then I went to San Diego. I mean, uh, the Chargers and got cut gotcha. twice, back to back. So, yeah. I, I was looking it over, and it it didn't look like you struggled. You, you weren't playing poorly in in Cleveland. It just wasn't necessarily all coming together. I mean, why don't you think it necessarily worked in those two spots before you got to Indianapolis and Cleveland? It was it kind of just something where you were develop like it was taking a little bit longer for you to develop get acclimated to the nfl game was it just you know kind of a scheme fit that wasn't really conducive to your playing style i mean why didn't it necessarily work in cleveland san diego before when you get your opportunity in india i mean you kind of just blew up 
I think it was, I mean, I think it was kind of a combination. Um, I know for me, I had to actually reevaluate how I took, um, how I assessed my job as being a professional, whether that was from nutrition, study habits, um, whatever it may be. And um, those experiences and a lot of failures in in Cleveland and San Diego definitely helped me when I got my opportunity to go in Indy and I just took what I learned and, you know, I asked a lot of questions from veteran guys to, to, to see how they thrived and continued to play. And I just kind of just put it all together and uh, just went out there and, um, you know, played. And, and I just used my experiences to help me. You mentioned uh, nutrition. How Anything specific there in terms of what you did, like, like the way that you changed what you were eating or, or you cut out certain foods? I mean, what, what specifically was there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, my – so in 20 – and uh, after after my surgery in um, in 2017, when I was in Indy, um, going into 2018, I went I went vegan for the year. Oh, really? So huh. yeah, so I just so I just changed my diet, not not knowing what it would do, but it, uh, it you know worked out for me that year, and I was able to earn a new contract. So you know, I just and that that goes along with me just asking questions on what yeah. did I do. Um, especially after an injury, to get my my body back to optimal playing playing shape. Gotcha. So is, are you still vegan? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I like to do it during the season. Okay. Um, huh. So you don't do it off season, then you do it in season. Yeah, oh, that's I, I fascinating. Like to do it during the season, and I feel a lot better. I know it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I feel a lot better during the season when it when I do it, um, as opposed to off season. Off season, just the training. The training, I it's a little bit. You have more, you have a lot more time to train gotcha. in off season. You know, in in season, you really don't have all those hours to train. So, I don't really need to have a crazy amount of protein um, huh. to to be able to perform. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes, I know. That's I know. fascinating. I've never I've never heard that. Before. That's that's fascinating. Do you ever like so when you go in season and you're, you're like, you're, is there any like specific food that you crave where you're like, oh man, I wish I could have. Like, is there any cheat day? Or is it you really stick straight? Um, you, 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 you crave all of it, but I yeah. think <laughs> you crave all of it. But I think for me, is this I, I, I'm, you know, you only have, um, you know, you have what twenty weeks, yeah, um, and, and basically guaranteed, and then whatever playoffs I, I know, if I, I can, I can go out with a certain troop for 20, 20 weeks, twenty two weeks. So that's how I put it in my mindset. That I just make it part of my lifestyle, and it's only for a short amount of gotcha. time. So. It's not like I'm doing it for the whole year. What's the uh, the first meal you have right after the uh, the season? Like, what's the first one you're like, oh, now I'm, I'm season's over, I'm eating this. It's usually two. It's usually like two large pizzas. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's not a bad one. Hey, I'm coming to New York. You're gonna completely change your uh, your opinion on on what good pizza is. I'll tell you that, man. You're gonna have your your pick of the litter once the season's over. But um, so you go to like so so you you go to Indianapolis, right? And you're not starting the first portion of the season. Second half in 17, you take over, and it, you basically just blow. I mean, it's you're like a completely – I mean, you're dominating basically that second half of the 2017 season. You carry it over into 2018. But was there a aha moment for you? Like, was there a point where it kind of all clicked where you were like, I've got – like, this is different. This is not like Cleveland. This is not like San Diego. I'm a different player, and this is a different situation, and the play starts to, to tick, uh, carry on after that? I mean, actually, it was it was – it actually started in um, in 2017 because well, actually I'm sorry after my when I was with the um, 
the Seahawks. Okay. I, I was at the Seahawks. I was on practice squad with the Seahawks, and I went through their. I went through the training camp, whatever. I got cut, but I, I during the preseason, you know, I played well. So in, my mindset was someone's gonna someone's gonna pick me up. Someone's gonna like me. I'm very. I was very confident in myself going in, um, and when I got to Indy, you know, not starting or or in the first half um it, I didn't like I didn't you know draw weary or you know you know felt down because I've been in that position before gotcha. so it was really just I was very confident in my skill and I just stayed ready whenever um I had the the chance to go out there and play so you get uh obviously like I said 17 you play well once you take over 2018 you continue that all the way through I mean you had some of your best games against you know, when you played when you played the big-time wideouts, Hopkins, stuff like that, I mean, that's when you kind of played your best and you start kind of shining the brightest. But that 18 season ends, you signed the three-year extension with, with Indy. Was that kind of your, like, I made it? Like, was that was that a big moment for you that kind of after some of the struggles in Cleveland, San Diego, the getting cut, to get that, that kind of big-time contract extension, was that a big moment for you? Yeah, that was definitely a big moment because, you know, all the hard work has, um, you know, finally paid off and, you know, it's. I think that a lot of guys. I mean, you want to get that to that con that second contract, or you know, to that bigger contract. And you know, it's, it was just a blessing. And um, you know, that all the trials that the tribulations that I had to go through, it actually it, it finally paid off. So now, 2019 comes, and I, you didn't play bad. Like it wasn't like you 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 had a bad season. The three picks were career high. Eleven pass breakups were career high. But it wasn't as good as 17 and 18 and I know I, I read somewhere that it was like there was a hamstring issue that plagued for a little bit I mean why did you think that some of those struggles popped up last year uh, in 2019 I mean I mean honestly I, I played the whole year I missed four games but even throughout that throughout that year um, you know I played with a hamstring injury played games injured you know but you know that's not an excuse I you know, I didn't. I didn't play well, honestly. Um, and I, I think if I would have took more time off, um, and not try to force myself to go in yeah. or try to, you know, you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm going to just stick it out and go out there. Um, it, it, the results would have been different. But you know, you, you live and you learn, and you know, you know, I was trying to do whatever. I was trying to do the best for my team, and you know, the coaches were wanting me to play, and then the the organization wanted me to play and then I was out there trying to play you know just had a new contract but uh, you know it, it was it was a lot of ups and downs you know there were some games that I played well in but it just it, it, it didn't feel right you know my body wise but uh, you know I look back on it there, there's just you know a couple of little things I you know could have cleaned up here and there but you know it's, it's a learning process and you know I feel like I'm, I'm only getting better um and I'm going to do that, go out there with the same mentality to continue to work hard and give everything I got for the team um, and uh, just go out there and have fun. You uh, p- Hamstring injuries are, are kind of something that I don't think too many normal everyday people realize how much that can impact you when you're trying to play a sport. I mean, so when you have that and it's it's sort of healthier but still kind of plaguing you, I mean, what does it kind of prevent you from doing when you're out there playing corner, I mean, where like uh, you were trying to deal, where was the biggest thing where you were like, God, this this part stinks. Like this is what's the hurt. Biggest, the biggest thing. I mean, there's a couple things, but probably the top two is you know the conditioning. You know, when okay. you don't, you can only get you can only get ready for football if you play football. 
yeah. you know, if you're, you know, you can do all the conditioning stuff, but it still doesn't stimulate an actual game. So the conditioning part was was an issue as well because I didn't get to, I didn't get to play in the games. And two, with the hamstring injury, it was just I wasn't able to run. I wasn't able okay. to open up a lot. I was wearing um, certain sleeves to restrict me from really opening up. Okay. And you know, I re-injured it multiple times throughout the season too. So it was, it was, uh, it, it was, it was one of those years. I was like, man, you know, I, injured, you know, but I still have to play, um, you know, because my team. You know, they, they need me to play, but yeah. you know, those that injury is tough, and I, you know, there's guys that missed the whole season also hamstring injuries. Yeah, yeah. So when you get like season ends now, obviously, and and you get kind of the the call the other day that that Indy's letting you go, was there? Did you see it coming at all, or were you kind of completely blindsided by it? Uh, you know, I, yeah, I was. I didn't. I didn't expect it. Um, it came out of nowhere. Um, you know, I just you know, I just wish that I would been able to get an opportunity earlier and you know, during free agency. Yeah. Um, but it's a business, you know. That's that's how, what they saw that was fit during the time for them to go ahead and do it at that moment. But um, you know, you gotta move on, you know. I you know, I keep my faith and uh I know that uh I, there's all there's better things that lie ahead of me. But uh, yeah, I was definitely surprised I did not see it coming at all. Got you. Emo- was there a, a pretty emotional? I mean, when you get that, I mean, how, what are your emotions? Kind of when you you find out that this is happening, you know, you sign the extension, you got three more years, and you're like, all right, I'm playing, I'm, I'm playing the best football in my career. I'm going to be here for a bit. I mean, what is the emotion that goes through you when all of a sudden it's like we're letting you go? Um, you know, the emotion was really just just be just disappointed. Yeah. Um, you know, just disappointed in what you were told um, from from an organization but uh, you know it's, it's a business and you got to look at it as a business and you know I'm, you know much you got to you kind of have to basically take your emotions out of it really and yeah. uh and you know move on and you know stay positive and put all that positive energy um into your new team because there's there's no need for you to try to you know hold a grudge or or anything like that because you know it's, it's a business now you um obviously now now you're here with the Jets new start again you're coming in obviously you're going to be expected to be one of this team's starting outside corners are you excited to kind of remind people again what you're capable of doing like you were in 17 like you did in 18 when you're healthy 100% out there in the field the kind of corner that you can be Yeah absolutely I think uh you know a lot of it's lost um and you know what happened in 2019 and I'm not going to make excuses for you know with the injury but i'm you know i'm ready to go out there and prove myself again i, I think i had i've done that my whole life my whole career just time and time again so it's not new for me but I'm, I'm definitely excited for the new start um gonna be in a great city um great locker room building a great culture um there and um, in new york so i'm just i'm just excited for the new start and uh, for the new beginning you ever been to new york before i mean what is i don't know if you ever i have been to new york see i i usually go to Broadway shows. Oh, really? <laughs> so, um, so I've been there a couple times and my, uh, my, uh, my oldest daughter has, uh, she has danced, um, um, during like a summer intensive classes for the Broadway's, uh, school of dance. Huh. That's awesome. Yes. Is that in your family at all? Like, is that, is that interest 
go beyond you in terms of Broadway and dancing and stuff like that? Like, were your parents involved uh, in it all? Or? I mean, that, yeah, Broadway has just been something. I mean, I, I always loved plays, even in high school. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, how do you find that connection? Like, where did you kind of first fi- find that passion? Just, just in you know, just in high school. Um, yeah. I was um, I, I, actually in middle school. I was in the drama. Oh, really? <laughs> I was, in the, was in drama class and uh, didn't didn't stick it out in high school because I was I was a three three different sports and summer summer sports but i always had to had love for theater and uh you know my daughters my my both my daughters they dance so um just been always caught up with the, the creative side of of uh you know the dance culture and uh theater so um yeah this there's just been something that's been with me and, and my kids love it as well we love going to shows you um is that something you want to do when you retire? Like was that is that something you'd look into potentially getting more involved in theater and stuff like that when whenever your NFL career ends? Absolutely, I'm trying yeah. to trying to do it all, man. Yeah, there you go, man. Good for you. Um, last question I have for you, and this is just kind of something looking over because you don't usually see too many corners with numbers like this. But that 18 season, you had you had 80 tackles, and I know you know I don't know how much you look into the analytic websites, but you graded out pretty highly in, in run defense in addition to coverage. I mean, is that Something you pride yourself on is being a corner that can kind of get his, his nose dirty a little bit and, and go in there and, and play against the run and, and be the short tackler and all that stuff in addition to coverage? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I definitely take a lot of pride in tackling. And I think once your teammates um, in the different positions like the D-line, the, the backers, um, and even the safeties to see that your corners are tackling, it brings them a little level of confidence um, that, you know, if it does get outside, that, you know, it's – it's not going to go for a lot of games because you got guys on the outside that like to tackle. So I definitely took a lot of pride in uh, my tackling ability. All right, great interview there. Um, and excited to see Pierre Desir on the field in green to see what he can do with the Jets, um, hopefully when the season starts on time in the fall. Um, not sure if you've listened to the podcast yet. Joe's Poznanski and The Good Places, Michael Shore, bring you sports drafts and always a little nonsense, actually a lot of nonsense. This week, Parks and Rec star Nick Offerman joined the show to discuss why Michael is bringing back his Moe's beard from the office, as well as Tom Brady's departure from the Patriots. Plus, they draft the most annoying things about sports that we now miss because of the coronavirus. Check out the podcast right here on The Athletic. If you have a friend who needs a subscription to The Athletic or you want to jump in fully and, and listen to it yourself, go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. You can save 40% off a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Connor, stay safe here over the next week or so until we uh, get back together and do another one of these podcasts. Absolutely, man. You guys too. And, and same to Marissa, who, who doesn't talk, but she's here. If she, you didn't hear her on this episode, but Marissa doing a great job producing from home, working from home, social distancing. Catch Connor on Twitter, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. We'll talk to you again soon.